Blog Talk Radio. minority 
and uh, that they don't, uh, uh, you know, this doesn't happen to everybody. But but it has happened, and there was this uh, the, the recent case I think in in Huntsville, Alabama, is a good example of uh, of some of the problems, of some of the the, uh, the the difficulties that people can have. And this is a story of uh, uh, Tyler Truitt is the uh, uh, gentleman's name. He's he's a vet, uh, and uh, he had a dream to live on his own property in in uh, Huntsville, Alabama, and to uh, to be able to provide for himself and his uh, and his girlfriend in his uh, small home. And a small home consisted of a trailer that he had on this property he had purchased. And for a lot of people, <clears throat> due to land speculation, it's becoming increasingly difficult to be able to, uh, to to build a home for yourself. And it used to be back in you know years ago that you'd buy your property and then you'd uh, build your home on your property. But nowadays, it's gotten to be big business. And so there are companies coming in, and they'll do uh, a turnkey options for you. Well, they'll build the home, you know, on the property, and then sell you the home and the property. They'll even, you know, go meet farmers and help the farmers split up their property, have the farmers sell off a portion of the property, split it up uh, into uh, uh, parcels, and then build a home on that. And then they'll uh, go around and advertise in uh, circulars and in newspapers and online for these homes and uh, get people to come into the open houses and come in to, uh, to buy themselves a house that's already prefab, that's already built. And, uh, but that, that's really a modern uh, uh, convention. That's, not, you know, that's, that's only within the past couple decades that this has been going on. I mean, prior to that, these uh, uh, people would generally would, would you know, if they, if they didn't live right in the suburbia or outside the city, they would, uh, uh, you know, buy a piece of land and, and build a piece of property on it. Uh, build a house on it uh, and build it the way that they wanted to build it, and they didn't, uh, uh, you know, they didn't buy these these monstrosities where you have a bank come in as well, and the banks would uh, would work with you already to figure out to get you a low interest rate and then uh, charge you a monthly fee uh, for that. Uh, and the interest rates, the way that the Federal Reserve is handing out money right now, you know, almost free to the banks, where well it is, it's a discount rate is uh, is 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 nothing. So the banks get essentially free money. They take that money and they invest it in the stock market or they uh, they loan it out, although they're not loaning it out as much. What they're doing now is most of it's going up on the Internet, and that's why you have estimates as high as $500 quadrillion out there in derivatives that uh, that are gambles placed on you know bets, placed on bets, bets, placed on bets, placed on bets. And uh, it's it's kind of a, a frightening scenario because these are uh, all pretty risky, and at any point in time it could come crumbling down. And I think Greece, what's going on in Greece right now, is a perfect example of this. And unfortunately, the Greek people are the ones who are being blamed for it. They're the ones who are being called lazy and profligate and greedy and uh, wanted everything. Socialism is terrible, and they wanted everything. And so, look, they ran their country into the ground, and uh, and that's it. And actually, in reality, what happened was you had Goldman Sachs and you had these Wall Street bankers and speculators going to the Greek government and uh, offering them all kinds of uh, wacky deals, uh, currency swaps, interest rate swaps, very complicated stuff. And they'd show them complicated math at how they can get all this money and it won't cost them very much. And they play this game with them, then, then it'll work. And of course, we know what happened in 2007 when the, uh didn't take much. It just took the uh, housing market to topple. Uh, uh, and then you had this snowball effect where it started affecting so many other markets. And it nearly wiped out the entire economies all around the world and people's life savings and their investments and so on and so on. And uh, these people had been conned into thinking that uh, you, you you know save a little money and then you invest it and let your, quote, money do your work for you. 
and uh, invest in the long term. And then when you retire, you can pull this money out, and you got a pretty sizable nest egg to be able to uh, retire on. And unfortunately, the reality was was that while they were doing this, these same these, another division in the bank was was playing these risky gambles and these risky bets and and uh, you know fraud in many cases, uh, manipulating currencies, manipulating interest rates, in order to make a quick buck for themselves and threatening the whole system. And unfortunately, most of these guys didn't go to jail because it wasn't technically illegal what they were doing. They were kind of operating in these gray areas. Uh, and uh, they were following the, uh, the the letter of the law, I suppose, not necessarily the speed of, spirit of the law, and so they got away with it. And these guys didn't end up going to jail when they should have, because uh, you know somebody can knock over a, a 7-Eleven, but if you uh, if you gamble away somebody's money, somebody else's money, and uh, you're not necessarily breaking any laws because you've created, you've been super creative, then uh, then you know then, then that's okay. Then you simply just uh, find a new job is what you do, and that's what most of these guys have done, or a lot of them have actually gone back to it, and they're in the process, thanks to this passing of fast track and the uh, this uh, the, the the likelihood that this trade and services agreement, one of these secret agreements, along with the TPP and the TPIP, which are going to be passed and sometime soon, everyone pretty much expects it, that they're going to roll back a lot of this, a lot of these rules. And it's not like there were very many rules in place. I mean, Wall Street was crying and moaning about all these rules they had and how it's hurting the economy. And in reality, the, we all know in the commodities market, for instance, only about 20, 10% of commodity uh, trades are, are regulated. 90% of them are done out in outer space, and, uh, and there's no regulation of that, all of these, uh, these derivatives on these commodities that are out there. But that's not really the topic of the day today. The topic of the day today is... Uh, is uh, off-the-grid living and people who want to just sort of walk away from this all and, and just throw up their hands and get away from it and get away from all the craziness and own a piece of land so you're not caught in this uh, this debt slavery and wage slavery where you have these uh, terrible bosses of yours who just really only care about the, the themselves and about their money and don't really care about how, how the employees are treated. And there's a lot of people who want to get away from that and just want to, want to live a simple life and a uh, simple, happy life. And you know, polls. You look at polls in Guatemala and some of these countries. I mean, Americans are these, these international polls, and Americans are are miserable largely. They're just uh, caught up in this cycle and uh, just constantly having to feed these beasts, these, this debt that they've accumulated, and these and uh, uh, and they just you know, and they're 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 very unhappy. Whereas you got countries like Guatemala or Costa Rica, where people live on practically nothing compared to what Americans live on, and yet they're, they seem to be much happier. In Mexico, a lot of these people seem to be much happier. And so I think these guys, some of these guys here in the States have the right idea. Unfortunately, not everyone agrees with you, and a lot of these local authorities don't agree with you. And the, the case of Tyler Truitt is a good example of that. And uh, Tyler isn't exactly this polished, uh, uh, you know, you can see from the pictures. I'd actually, I'm interested in getting Tyler on the show and, and uh, you know, coming up here. But he's probably not the most, he was a vet, you know, he's probably not the most uh, quaffed and polished guy to go down there and smooth talk a, a sales pitch to these local authorities about uh, what he wants to do. And he also didn't have a million dollars to invest in. You know, you open up sometimes these Mother Earth News and some of these magazines and you see these people laying in this sustainable bamboo flooring and on and on and on, which, you know, most regular people just can't afford. People who want to live off the grid want to uh, to find uh, um, that's that's really is the idea behind it you want to find uh, a, inexpensive ways to to uh, to live a, a life of your own choosing so that you're not uh, you're not forced to to contend with this and there are places to do this in the country unfortunately that this one-sided here Huntsville Alabama is, is 
obviously not one of those places. And this is a, from a local uh, news, this is ABC local news article on uh, um, uh, uh, Tyler Truitt's uh, case that actually came before it where the, uh, the local authorities actually took him to court over it. And they uh, they were very unhappy with the fact uh, that he didn't want to do that, and uh, they were he was they claimed he was in violation of zoning rules. But the reality was was that the uh, Tyler had a, the idea of what he wanted to do, and the zoning laws wouldn't necessarily allow him to, to to do that. And so he had been battling it, and then they just decided to take him to court. But he had to live somewhere, and he had to live on his property. I'm going to read a portion of this article so you get a sense of this. This was filed on uh, June 16th, so it was you know it was, it was two weeks ago when this when uh, the the verdict came down here. So it's 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 fairly fresh in everybody's memory. At least a lot of people are talking about it. The story goes: the military vet versus the city of Huntsville as his alternative lifestyle is under scrutiny. Now Huntsville city leaders want to set the record straight about this case. They say Tyler Truitt is creating an unsafe living condition by living off the grid. Yet he says he's being cost-conscious. What does the law say and what protection is there for others who want to go green? Truett has an economical approach to most things. Quote, there's 47,000 gallons of water a year that you can collect only off of your roof. That's enough to supply just about any house, he said. And it has been working for him and his girlfriend, Soroya Hamar, for the past six months. Well, sort of. They, Huntsville, won't issue us any permits to have utilities hooked up at all, said Truett. So even if the couple wanted to get plugged in with the city, Truett says they can't. Kelly, I'm not sure how to pronounce her name, Shrishmer, director of communications in the mayor's office, explained this to uh, ABC, quote, There are actually two separate issues. One is the zoning violation with the mobile home that is no longer allowed within the city limits unless they are in a trailer park, unquote. Truett says he asked several people why mobile homes aren't allowed and no one could give him a reason. The second issue is health and safety violations that have occurred with Truett's electrical utilities and primarily the sanitary system. Truett showed Way 31, that's the local ABC affiliate, one of the citations which says his sanitary facilities are not operational. He says that's because they use composting. The problem, Shrishmer says, is not the environmental alternative, but that Truett didn't go through the permitting process, which includes getting a variant something Truett says he was denied after an inspector issued a citation. We had intended to petition for a variant. Why should a citizen be forced to apply for a variant in order to comply with an ordinance that was unconstitutional to begin with? Both parties will go to court July 29th regarding the unsafe structure citation. Truett stands firm in his belief his lifestyle is safe. Quote, there are benefits and compromises for citizens that choose to live in the city. They live here because they know their government is going to look out for the health and welfare, said Shrishmer. Truett's property is in a floodplain, but if you're considering going green and potentially being debt-free like Truett, the city suggests you go to the Community Development Office, Building Department, and Planning Department to make sure your building is up to code and you get permission. Now, I understand some of this stuff is uh, uh, the end of the article. I understand some of this stuff is is worth it. You know, I mean, uh, uh, building a facility, there is, you know, I mean... Yeah, you know, it, it's there is some some there's there's skill involved in that, and this is not something that uh, um, you know you really want to. Uh, um, uh, some of the things you don't necessarily want to mess with. For instance, you know, you, most people know that you, when you put a wood stove in, you just don't run the stovepipe up through the uh, rafters and up through your roof. They make actually insulated inserts that that fit in there. That uh, so your uh, your house won't catch on fire. You know, in the middle of winter, in the middle of the night, when you're trying to heat your home. Uh, these are certain things that that zoning and 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 code building codes that have been uh, set up intentionally 
to, uh, to you know, from, from experience in the past and for some safety reasons. So, you know, it's a, a smart person would educate themselves on those, uh, the building codes uh, before they're, they're building and at least, you know, talk to some inspectors. And last week I had Sally Fallon Morell on this show. She's with the, the, the president of the Weston A. Price Foundation. Uh, we were talking about raw milk and we were talking about farming. And both of us had related our experiences with uh, with uh, local inspectors, with animal control, with uh, uh, the uh, um, uh, local regulators, state regulators, and farming issues. And both of us have actually, you know, said, I mean, it's not all these guys are bad news. Some of these guys are actually pretty good and willing to work with you. And I had a case uh, a couple years ago where I had a neighbor who didn't like uh, uh, some roosters that I had in the property. He also didn't like my neighbor's chickens because they wandered onto his property every once in a while. And, of course, he has a right to, to good fences make good neighbors. So he had a right. You know, th- that was his property. He, you know, the uh, the neighbor's chickens shouldn't wander onto his property. They weren't my chickens. They were the neighbor's chickens that were wandering on his property. But he just didn't seem to care, and he was fed up. And so he called the uh, county uh, on the neighbor and myself. And uh, the county showed up. And in uh, where I live in Maryland, there are certain rules where if you have over five acres, you can pretty much do whatever you want on your property. But if you're under four acres, and I have uh, uh, a little less than four acres on my property, if, if you have less than that, if you have less than five acres, you have to follow all of these very strict rules, one of which involves what they consider to be one poultry per half acre, which is uh, – in my opinion, is absolutely absurd. I mean, that is, uh, you know, if you even look at Maryland's, uh, the state, uh, uh, you know, the uh, the state uh, agri- cooperative extension there, they recommend, I mean, they have, they have what I consider two absurd standards as well for raising chickens. I mean, you pretty much, they, they recommend that you can have a, a chicken on, I think it's one square foot, which absolutely seems crazy. I mean, this is more to accommodate these large factory poultry farms where they create these big, huge, they're not barns or these giant, warehouse facilities and then they'll keep you know 50,000 chickens uh, meat birds or or, uh, laying hens inside there and now what they're doing is they they feed them organic feed and they follow some of the rules about organic rules and but they keep them inside these giant warehouses and they never see daylight they never get outside they don't eat clover or bugs or any of that so uh, um, they call themselves uh, organic so they follow the letter of the law exactly and unfortunately for the rest of us, these, uh, you know, that, that we have to, uh, to abide by some of these absurd rules that are out there. And, but however, the, uh, the, the local authorities were willing to work with us. So I worked out a deal with my neighbor. He had some property. I had some property. We went in together and uh, worked up a little contract between the two of us. And we had property now that was over five acres, so the neighbor can go you know, jump in a lake about that. However, we did take, he did take steps, the neighbor, and I, I talked to him about that, that he would keep his chickens from, uh, from running in, uh, on the, uh, the neighbor's property, which was the neighbor's right. You know, nobody wants that, and, uh, and that's important to uh, to, to, you know, but it is important to be on good terms with the neighbors. So I went over and talked to him and shook his hand, and we had a good conversation. He wasn't the friendliest of fellows, but uh, but that's fine. Uh, and uh, and so we all worked it out. And uh, but the but the, the the point I'm making here is that the local people were willing to work with us on this topic. And uh, and every time we talked to them, they were very nice and they were very friendly. But they had to abide by the rules. In fact, the, the local guy that I spoke to was a farmer himself, and he raises chickens, and he lives farther down out in the country. And years ago, he was able to buy more land because land was, was inexpensive. Uh, and uh, it wasn't uh, our problem was that when we moved out here uh, 12 years ago, land was just extremely expensive. It was, uh, you know, the speculators were moving in, and they were driving up the prices uh, in, in our area to build these McMansions on, you know, so they could turn around and sell them to uh 
to people, you know, people who were moving outside the city like we were and uh, looking for something. Now, we bought a 100-year-old house on a, on a property that had been broken up uh, um, several years before that, sold off. So there were houses being built up around us. But, you know, you see it more and more. And, I mean, I know uh, driving down uh, uh, 13, Route 13 on the eastern shore, you know, they were building these houses, housing developments right downwind of these big, huge chicken farms where they blew these in the summertime where they put these big fans up on these uh, on these big, huge factory farms. You've got 50,000 chickens in there, and they blow these fans out of the buildings to suck all the ammonia and the manure smell and everything out of there, and these fans were pointed directly. In fact, you can see it right when you drive by. There's a housing development built right next door to one of these things, and you can see these giant fans on the back end of these factory farms where they're just blowing this air right out at uh, at these people's homes there and it's uh <laughs> you know i'm sure there's probably been some pretty heated struggles over that but the reality is that farmer was there first and uh moreover is that you know somebody's got to raise uh, animals somewhere to to feed the communities and if you uh if you object to that and you got a real problem with it one don't buy your house there and two perhaps you should think about maybe a vegetarian lifestyle or something but even if you are a vegetarian the reality is this is another discussion i hope to have in the future sometimes this this debate over what's healthier a meat-based uh, um diet or a uh, an omnivore's diet or a vegetarian diet and most vegetarians you know they don't think about it they go to the store and they buy their beans they go to the store and they buy their uh, their their uh, vegetarian food but they don't uh, they don't think about the fact that uh, they they the fields are fertilized with uh, with the manure uh and uh, from these animals and and there's animals play an integral part in all of this and so it's uh, yes while these animals may not be be killed but those animals ultimately where the manure is there that they'll be killed and then the soy that you're purchasing could be coming from you know 3000 miles away whereas uh, in in these local farms that are here where you have these small farmers who are being responsible about raising their animals and doing it in a uh, in a sustainable way and you have diversity and you have multiple farms that are providing this rather than these massive uh, uh, factory farms you know, you can contend with the pollution problems because they're spread out all over the country rather than being confined to these certain areas where they're just devastating these areas. Like in Michigan, these big, huge uh, uh, pork farms, uh, pig for hog farms up in Michigan or in North Carolina, or we have these factory farms for chickens on the eastern shore, you know, out there where they're just devastating, you know, just, just causing tremendous pollution. Years ago, we had this problem in the Chesapeake Bay, which was related to this, uh, um, it was a, uh, uh, an outbreak of a, a disease for the fish in there, and it had to do with the fact that uh, the the manure from these chickens, which was uh, the chicken farmers then turning around and selling the manure to the farmers who are dumping it on their fields, and a big rain comes along and washes a lot of this manure out of the rivers, which dumps out in the bay, and then they ended up with this fisteria was the uh, disease, and they had all these fish showing up with these uh, dying and with these big, huge wounds on their side, which were related to that. And uh, But again, you know, they figured out what it was, and they worked with the farmers, and the farmers were able to uh, to do that. But the thing that I'm seeing more and more is that we're seeing more of these dead zones come up. In the Bay, for instance, every year these dead zones seem to be getting bigger and bigger. And you can try to blame it on the farmers, but the reality is is that it's not just the farmers. You have the uh, for all the fertilizers that are being dumped onto lawns all around here, which end up in the rivers, in the Potomac River, and the Wacomico and uh, and the Anacostia River, and then they get dumped out into the bay. And so you have these algae blooms, and then the algae blooms die off, and they suck all the oxygen out of the water, and you have dead zones. Last year we had one of the biggest dead zones in the bay, which went from the uh, Bay Bridge all the way down to where the Potomac dumped out into the bay. 
and uh, very little fish, very little crab life in there because they couldn't survive in these dead zones. Just pushed everything out, and there was nothing in there. So we're seeing. So you can't just blame the farmers for this type of stuff. It's a, it's a, a tough walk. You know, it's a you have to 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 uh, to work it out with with both uh, resident residential communities and uh, that are building up more and more around these areas and building up along rivers and building up along the bay, and as well as the farmers that have been there. But back to Tyler Truitt. So the story is is that he. Uh, you know they didn't like the fact that uh, that they that he didn't have a septic tank dug in. Now there's lots of uh, options that you can do if you want to live off the grid. You know one of the options that I've seen people do, which is, might work out in the country, which is you build a platform and almost like an outhouse, and under that outhouse you got a big trash bin and you keep a straw or dirt next to you. And when you use your the bathroom, you throw the straw or the dirt on top of it. And then uh, there's a good book out there called Humanure. Believe it or not, it's uh, I've, I've read a copy of it. Uh, Humanure is the name of the book. You can just Google it and uh, and you'll find it. And it's actually it's been around for a long time. Since actually a lot of it has already leaked out online, unfortunately. But you should buy it and support the author and support the publisher of that book and take a look at it. But it's an interesting concept where you know uh, most people, if you ever composted before, you know one of the biggest rules of composting is you never throw any meat or animal products generally in your compost. Uh, especially if you want to uh, simply just, you know, flip it over and then use it as soon as you possibly can when things break down. When you have uh, animal products that are thrown in there, you you have to wait a lot longer, six months to a year, before the bacteria gets burned out of it, the bad bacteria that's in there uh, gets burned out of that, and then you can put it on your garden and use it. But uh, if, if it's just two people living in a home, you're not producing that much uh, humanure, as they call it. So in your composting toilet, and uh, uh, so it's 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 doable. You know, you take that when the trash can's full in a couple months, you take it and you dump it. You know, in, in a uh, um, or you pull, you may have two of them going at the same time, and you pull it aside, and you uh, uh, you know you could. In your composting, separate composting bin, you could put that in your composting bin, throw a bunch of straw over there, and turn it as needed. And in a year, you got pretty good compost. And you can do that with, uh, with uh, um, you know, other animal waste products too that are in there. Like if you got meat or if you got dairy or things like that, you can put that in there in your uh, um, in that that uh, humanure uh, composting and uh, flip that. But again, you got to wait a long time before a year, not just you know 90 days or so, you three months. You got to wait a good year before you can use that again. And so that's always an option. But there's but all you got to do is Google off the grid living and uh, toilets. And there's lots of you know they're, they're, they have these they have actually composting toilets that are right there. You know that that have everything contained inside them. They also have these ones that hook up to a propane tank, which essentially incinerate everything in there. It turns to nothing. But ash, and that ash you can take out, you can dump in your garden, you can uh, you can do whatever. And with so there's lots of different options. So this this whole notion of a septic tank and or tapping into the uh, into the uh, city uh, uh, sewer, it's not necessarily then have that run through you know the uh, cycle through the city. It's you know you know that's that's not necessarily an option. But the uh, the codes are not up to date with that, and uh, they wouldn't allow you to uh, to be able to do that in the city. And this unfortunately is what. Uh, this uh, Tyler Truitt is, is coming up against. Uh, is that the problem is is that specifically pointed to this the the uh, the, the Blackwater 
that is that is coming out. Now, I don't know particularly specifically what his setup is. I, I tried researching some of that to see, but there are no people who are a little squeamish about talking about that type of stuff. So they don't get into the nitty-gritty of it. And most people really sort of, you know, want to vomit when you start talking about humanure and, and uh, you know, human composting toilets and human composting and things like that. But there's a lot of good websites out there that have tons of information. I've contemplated doing it on the edge of the woods over here just to, to see how, uh, how we could do, you know, as a family. I have a family here, and I doubt they probably want to, uh, to take part in it, but, uh, but I think it's an interesting idea, an interesting concept, and uh, um, I will say that, you know, I free-range my chickens, and I don't use that term anymore because free-range really has gotten to be kind of a joke amongst a lot of farmers because, you know, the notion of free-range for, for these big farms, they say cage-free, free-range chickens are uh, out there. It's, uh, you know, they, they, they open a window in, in one of these big factory farms and let the air in, and then they can call themselves uh, free-range is out there. And so most people call it pasture-raised is kind of the new term that's out there for it. And what I really say is I just throw open the gate. I have a uh, chicken run, and when I'm away from my house, they stay in the chicken run because I have a lot of stray dogs that come around and they'll, uh, you know, just as easily I have more problems with stray dogs than I have with foxes or hawks. Uh, um, but uh, but it happens, and so I'll throw open the uh, chicken run and let the chickens out, and they go outside and they run around. They usually beeline for the turkey coop to go harass the turkeys, but uh, and they I have a fence. Uh, the turkeys are fenced in, and, and there's a coop there, but they like to get inside that turkey coop and scratch around in the straw. And uh, but they spend a lot of their time scratching around the leaves on the edge of the woods on my property, looking for bugs. And then they'll try to get into their fencing to get into the corn, or try to get in the garden. And the grapes that are hanging, grape vines, and the grapes that are hanging over, the chickens jump up. It's actually rather entertaining to watch them sitting there. They even eat the the uh, the grapes are still green; they're not ripe yet, but they'll jump up and have a field day with the grapes that are there. I do not let my chickens in the garden because chickens are very aggressive gardeners, and they'll get in there and scratch everything out, even large tomato plants. They'll scratch out. They'll also eat your tomatoes, jump up, and and uh, occasionally one will get in there, a hen, and she'll have a great old time, uh, pick a few bites out of a cucumber or or uh, uh, eat some tomatoes that are on the vine, and unfortunately then they rot if you can't catch them soon enough. and cut the uh, cut the bad part out and salvage your tomato and they don't seem they don't really worry about that stuff it's pretty much good it's you can learn a lot from chickens because they just live in the moment that's all they don't really care about uh, this evening or tomorrow or next week they're pretty much just living in the moment right then and there and what they can get and what they kind of trouble they can get into and what kind of fun they can have and what they can find to eat right then and so it's something to be said. It's a very Zen state of being, chickens, and people have written extensively about that. But this, uh, getting back to Tyler Truitt, the, uh, the, this, the, you know, the, the, the lifestyle that he has, uh, this, uh, um, uh, you know, the opportunities that he has there on his property. It'd be interesting to, to get more into depth and talk to him and get some specifics about what his plans are, because the truth is you got to have plans to be able to do this, lead this type of lifestyle. You have to put a lot of thought into it. You have to do a lot of reading. You have to educate yourself because, because you, uh, you know, you, you can. And if we lived in a more libertarian society, it's which, which, you know, in some respects I, I, I you know, I, I, I like how, you know, I like that kind of concept, what that is, where people are more responsible for themselves. But on the other hand, there's a lot of people who can get themselves into trouble pretty quickly. And, uh, um, you know, there are parts of the country where you can go to West Virginia, you can go to uh, uh, Idaho or Montana and get way, or Alaska and go way, way, way out and, uh, you know, live on your own and without the safety net. But if you're living in suburbia, if you're living in the city, it's difficult. 
it's uh, certainly if you're living in an apartment it's almost you know it's very difficult and the apartment is wired and the uh, your toilets are hooked up and uh, the water is hooked up you don't really have very many options you can't do uh water collection you can't do a composting toilet you can't do solar or wind power although these are options and uh you know people are um I have friends who live in in the city and live in suburbia, and they have small gardens. They've built gardens on the roof of buildings. They've built gardens in abandoned – friends who lived in Baltimore, and they uh, took over an abandoned uh, lot that some bank owns and set up fencing there and started, created a community garden in there. And uh, the banks just left it there, and it was in kind of in a crummy area, and the banks just sat on it as investment property. So there are options in the city, but uh, but they're not as as uh, you know you don't have as many options if you can move out to the country and get yourself a little bit of land. And uh, you know Huntsville, Alabama. I've never been to Huntsville, Alabama, but it's considered a city, and they have zoning rules in the city, and I'm sure rather extensive rules that are there. And so he faced a lot of problems with these uh, with these uh, with zoning violations, with these inspectors showing up to uh, to deal with them. And it's interesting how they actually regulate the amount of water that you can collect off your rooftop, which is something that most people don't think about. It was a big deal in Maryland while ago, uh, two years ago because they wanted to. They had passed a law to which they called the rainwater tax. They wanted to tax businesses based on the amount of asphalt that you had, and uh, around and pavement that you had, so that the water runoff would, uh, um, uh, you know, the water was was running off, and they wanted to tax you on that. Uh, and it was it was rather controversial. And it was a big deal uh, on that. So they do pay attention to this type of stuff. I'm not sure if I live he, he, around where I am, if they uh, got to look into that. That was news to me and a bit shocking to find out that they actually regulate. Now, 47,000 gallons of water that you can collect off your roof is quite a bit of water for a uh, uh, for two people, well, he and his girlfriend in their house. It's quite a bit of water to go through, you figure, uh, um, you know. I mean, you know, if you're not showering every day, the average shower is what about five, six gallons of water, washing dishes, all of this stuff. You know, if you're if you're pretty economical and you're not showering every day, then uh, then you could probably, you know, a couple thousand gallons would probably do you for the year uh, if you needed it. But so forty-seven thousand gallons is quite a bit, and uh, so you know he can he can do that, and you can uh, you can hook yourself up to the. Uh, um, you know, you can keep a uh, a big cistern, and there's a lot of stuff you can read online about building your own cisterns, and uh, and how to uh, store your own water, and uh, you know, if you have a diesel uh, generator, then you can put a pump in there, and you can just uh, if you if you you know, assuming that you don't have a hill behind your house, if you have a hill behind your house, you can just grab build a cistern up, cistern up there, and then gravity feed it into your home. Uh, but if you want, and uh, in uh, my family in New Zealand, that's what they did. They had a big cistern up on the in the farm on a hill behind the house, and they ran uh, water lines down to the house, and they were getting a good 25, 30 psi just from the uh, gravity feed in the water that was up there. Now, what they did was they had a big well on the farm that had electric pump, and they ran a line from that all the way up to the cistern to keep the cistern full. So they would pump it out of the ground up to the cistern, and then the cistern would gravity feed it to the house. And they ran multiple lines from the cistern to the house. They had a line run into the sink, a line run into the shower, and a line run into the uh, uh, to, to the toilets that were there. So that if somebody was washing dishes, you could still take a shower without having to worry about water pressure. The water pressure was still solid on that. So, you know, again, you just got to put a lot of thought into this and think about uh, think about how you're going to do it. But Unfortunately, Mr. Truett ran into some problems with that, and uh, um, I don't know whether he was exploring, you know, the the, uh, the black water, gray water, separating those two. Gray water, if for those people who don't know what that is, gray water is uh, 
generally the, the water that comes out of your shower or uh, out of your uh, um, the water that comes out of your uh, uh, your sink when you're washing dishes. Uh, it's it's black water is what comes out of your toilet, and so most people if they're going to recycle water, they'll recycle the gray water. They'll uh, they'll have that go through, say, a, uh, a dig a hole and have a few levels of filtration in that hole, and then uh, take that water and recycle it through. Especially if your house is on a hill, you could have that recycled down to a uh, cistern down next to your garden, where then you can turn around and you can water your garden with that gray water, and it works great. You know, you can you can use that. You can even recycle it back into the house and to use that again to wash dishes and to uh, to use that. Or you can have it collect in a pond, you know, off of your property somewhere, so long as you're. Uh, you make sure that you're careful and you're filtering it correctly. Black water is a little different. Black water is where you're, you know, put it on a septic, and the septic's not really that complicated. You got a giant tank, and then you got your leach field after that, which again slowly filters through the leach field, and then it ends up in, uh, you know, uh, dumping out into uh, into the aquifers, or it dumps out into the into a stream or something. That's uh, that is uh, uh, down below where your where your house is and your septic is, and so that's pretty much all there is to it. It's not, you know, it's not rocket science. It's been done for it's been done for many, many, many years, and uh, but I'm not sure what Truett was planning on doing here and how he was doing that. But obviously, the inspector showed up and didn't like his setup and didn't like his plan, probably because it violated certain ruling, rulings, certain zoning laws in this uh, in this city. So, uh, but but unfortunately, Truett had already purchased the property. You know, I'm sure if he moved way out in the country in Alabama somewhere, probably wouldn't run into those those uh, um, those problems. I know in Maryland, for instance, if you want to build a, a building, there are certain uh, um, up to certain sizes, like you can build a shed. But uh, if you want to build something larger than that, and there's square footage on it. Uh, uh, anything over, I think it's 10 by 10. Uh, you have to get a zoning permit to do that. However, if you have animals. Uh, they'll allow you to build a larger building. You know, you can get around the zoning. You can start the zoning rules on that. I'm sure in the city of Huntsville, they probably don't have those type of uh, of uh, zoning laws, and you probably can't can't get around that. But they did allow for variance, uh, and uh, he probably had to talk to them and work with them. He probably could have done that. But it's tough when you're living on a, uh, you know, you don't have a lot of money, and uh, and and you can't get around it. There was a second case that I was going to talk about, not here in Alabama, but the second case is. Uh, um, uh, it's in Florida, a recent case that people are aware of. And this is this, this case of, uh, her name is uh, Robin Sperona. She's an older lady, and she lives in um, uh, she lives in Florida, and I'm looking for the town. It's Cape Coral is where she is. Uh, and she lives in the city, too. And uh, um, she had apparently been doing it for years. And this is an article here on libertarianrepublic.com. Uh, the article's title, Off the Grid Living is Deemed Illegal in Florida, and this was published June 6, 2015. This case goes back a while, though, because she's been fighting it. But the uh, the case is, is it reads, uh, the article uh, reads, Robin Speronis lives off the grid in Florida. Her home isn't connected to water, sewage, or the electrical grid. She has solar panels for electricity and collects rainwater for bathing, drinking, and sewage. For a few years, her self-sufficient lifestyle seemed to be working out for her. That was until she gave an interview to a local TV station. Shortly afterwards, she received a notice from the city of Cape Coral that she was required to vacate the property, her own property. A local judge later found that it's illegal to disconnect from the city's water system. And then they asked the question, uh, who is she hurting by not connecting to the city's water system? The off-the-grid lifestyle may seem crazy to some. It certainly isn't a lifestyle that, that 
the author would choose for herself because she's a big fan of modern conveniences. However, to each their own, people should be free to live off the grid if they choose. If it works for them, more power to them. Robin is just one of many Americans who have recently decided to go off the grid. She gave up some modern utilities after she ran into money troubles and found that it was easier than she expected. This is what she told a local uh, publication. She said, quote, I had never even gone camping, but nothing was hard. Every time I did something, it was easier than I thought it was going to be. I thought, I can do this. I can do this myself, unquote. When she eventually bought another home after being foreclosed on, she sold the oven, refrigerator, and air conditioning units. There are a lot of reasons why someone would choose to live unplugged. Uh, according to Mother Nature Network, some people do it to be self-reliant or more in touch with nature. Many go off-grid to step away from society. Still others do it because it is uh, the most financially viable option available to them. Uh, and uh, they conclude, unfortunately, off-the-grid people are being targeted by local governments all over the country. It's a shame because these people are not hurting anyone by refusing to pay for utilities that they do not use. If they want to live an environmentally friendly, self-sufficient lifestyle, let them. I might also add, it's a lot less expensive too. You know, if you don't have a, even if you have, you're plugged up to the uh, the electrical grid, you're going to get a power bill no matter what, even if you're using very little. Because uh, what happens is, is that the, uh, um, uh, you know, well, I get it all depends on there, but but you're still going to have to pay a power bill, uh, no matter what. And if you want to unplug completely from the uh, the the, uh, the power grid, then uh, then you won't have a power bill anymore, and you'll just have to, if you want to hook up a generator and use that when you need to, then that's that's your prerogative. I imagine it's probably pretty tough in the summertime in uh, uh, Cape Coral in the summertime. It's in Florida, probably in the wintertime, it's probably not too bad. It might be tough where we live. Uh, um, you know, uh, up in Maryland, or if you're in way upstate, uh, upstate New York or Wisconsin or something, it might be a little more difficult. But people are doing it, and uh, lots of people are are living off the grid or cutting the electricity and not worrying about heat or air conditioning or any of that stuff, and living like people used to in in the old days, where you cut firewood. Or there's a lot of interesting ways. In fact, I was just reading an interesting article about tying in composting along with your heating your home, where there's a uh, ideas where people take about a, somewhere around a hundred feet of a black Black, this, the black irrigation tubing that you'll see when people want, you know, to, to be able to, uh, well, farmers use it to to uh, bring water to their livestock way on the field. They'll run into a pond. Uh, these these long uh, long black uh, irrigation lines, or you'll see it sometimes in suburbia when people want to have these uh, little pop up sprinklers in their gardens. So the guys will come in and and uh, run these water lines all along the property and uh, put these pop-up sprinklers on there, and you just turn on the hose, you set it on a timer, and it pops up and waters your lawn and then pops back down and you're done. Uh, what, what, what these guys do with this composting is that they'll, uh, they'll take uh, uh, takes a pretty large amount of compost. In fact, they recommend using things like, uh, like if you want to, for your own mulch, where you'll pile up, uh, um, you know, there's a lot of information online, but you'll pile up a, a, a good size amount of mulch you know, that's there, like a, a large pile uh, some of them put them inside these little containment areas and just to hold it to make it look nice. And then you, inside you'll coil this black, as you, as you fill it up, you coil this black irrigation line inside. So, you, so it's like a large large coil that's there. And then you keep filling it up with mulch, and eventually this, this coiled black line is, is, uh, is all buried underneath the mulch, and then it cycles through the house. So you'll have uh, you tie that into your water system under you know underneath your frost line, run that to the house to the uh, the water pump, and so that will circulate through this black line, and then the coils will go around the mulch. So even in the middle of winter, this, this as the as the uh, the mulch is composting, it's generating heat, of course. 
the chemical reaction, and uh, uh, you know, and these, these these compost piles can get as hot as 150, 160 degrees. So then, as this coils, it heats your water up to you know 120, 150 degrees, depending on how much uh, coil you have in there, and then cycles back to the house. So you've got this hot water, and then that cycles through. And whether you tie that into your radiator or you use it to shower with uh, for your for your uh, your hot water, people are doing that to heat your house, and it's an interesting concept and and some some ideas that you can do. And again, I don't know whether uh, uh, what uh, Miss Baronis was doing with her home, the specifics of it. Fortunately, these articles really don't get into in depth in them. But uh, there was an earlier article related to that where uh, this was related to her case. This actually, her case has been going on for a couple of years now, and I've been reading about it and following it. And back in February of uh, 2014, they, uh, the, the, there was this was the judge's ruling on her house, and it's uh, it, this was in a Salon article back from February 2014. And it stars Robin Speronis had her Cape Coral house set up for entirely off-the-grid living. Solar panels provided her electricity, and she substituted rain for running water. But last week, a Florida court declared her self-sustaining lifestyle illegal. Special Magistrate Harold S. Eskin ruled Thursday that Speronis is allowed to generate her own electricity but must hook her home up to the city's water system, even if they can't require her to use it. Speronis had been living off the grid for nearly two years but drew the ire of state officials uh, in November 2014 when she appeared on a local news station boasting of a utility-free lifestyle. That same day, a code enforcement officer attempted to evict her. Thursday's ruling, which was back in February 2014, found Speronis not guilty of refusing to use the sewer and of using solar energy, but is holding her accountable for refusing to use an approved water system. Reasoning that she had been using the city's wastewater system without paying for it, Eskin had the city cap her sewer until she agrees to connect. While she fights the ruling, Speronis' plan is to dispose of her waste as dog owners do for their pets and to use wastewater for her garden. I know how to live off the grid completely and in a sanitary way, she told the news press, which is, uh, I guess, a local newspaper down there. That's what seven months of living in the woods taught me. I do have an alternative toilet for my days of living in the woods. So, you know, there you go. I mean, they're often used in sailboats, for instance, you know, used in RVs where you collect it and then you go and you dump it, you know, collect some chemicals and you dump it. That's a pretty nasty way to uh, to do that, but it's it's one option for you. I mean, again, there are... Yeah, you know, I was talking earlier about these composting toilets. These is incinolet, I think, is what it's called, and it hooks up to a propane tank that actually incinerates everything, and all you're left with is ash. So there's no bacteria, there's nothing, and then you take that ash and you can dump it in the trash, or you can dump it, you know, anywhere. And uh, and these are perfectly acceptable, you know, ways to 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 do this. And she does make a good point about about these people complaining about uh, uh, the way that she's living here and that, meanwhile, they've got a dog as big as a pony that's dumping manure all over the place and these people are just shoveling it, putting it in plastic bags and tossing it in the trash or burying it on their property. Uh, what we do is with our dogs, we just take it, if they go in the grass, you take a shovel and you toss it in the woods. Now we can get away with that. But uh, with humans, I guess we're supposed to be a little more civilized and we're not supposed to do that and people don't like talking about it, but there are lots of options out there for people. And, uh, uh, you know, and so, uh, uh, you know, she, she can do it. The, the third case I was going to talk about was this, uh, this case. And actually, I know Dave Gahar, who's another co-host on the Overthrow Radio Network, and actually spoken to this guy uh, in Texas. And this guy's anxious to, to get on the radio and talk about his situation. And one of these days we'll have him on to talk about it. But this is his small organic farm in Arlington, Texas. And back in, 
this was this was uh, this was a couple of years ago, but the case continues on. That actually a SWAT team raided his property. There was a 10-hour search of his property. They're alleging that he had was growing marijuana plants on his property at this Garden of Eden farm. They searched the property and found nothing. The police seized. They took 17 blackberry bushes, 15 ochre plants, 14 to, uh, uh, tomato uh, tomato plants, some native grasses, and sunflowers. Uh, and uh, that's after holding residents inside at gunpoint for at least a half hour. Uh, the raid lasted about 10 hours. They searched the entire property, found nothing. But anyways, then they decided to uh, you know to to uh, get a little retribution. They turned around and slapped the Garden of Eden with code violations including grass that was too tall, bushes growing too close to the street, a couch and piano in the yard, chopped wood that was not properly stacked, a piece of siding that was missing from the side of the house, and some and an unclean premises. That's what they said. Uh, the police didn't produce a warrant until two hours after the raid began, and officers shielded their name tags so they couldn't be identified. Uh, apparently, uh, there was only one individual who was arrested, and that person was arrested for some outstanding traffic violations. The city of Arlington said in a statement that the code citations were issued to the farm following complaints by neighbors who were, quote, concerned that the conditions, unquote, at the farm, quote, interfere with the useful enjoyment of their properties and are detrimental to property values and community appearance, unquote. Uh, and uh, and so following that, they've been uh, kind of battling it out. But they've they've had to uh, they've lived off the grid, and uh, they're perfectly happy to do that. But it's been it's been trouble, you know. It's, it's caused some trouble for them. Uh, and it's happening, you know. It doesn't happen a lot, uh, but it happens off the. Uh, it does, you know. It does. Uh, but there are, you know, for for all these raids that are going on, I I, I wanted to point out, you know, because I try to keep the show somewhat positive. I mean, you have to keep these. You have to be positive about this. That there are these cases that are happening. It seems like most of them, unfortunately, are happening around cities, mostly. Uh, but there are these cases happening, unfortunately, and. Uh, um, uh, you know, and and uh, and people need to be smart about it and educated about it. And so there are, you know, I was, I was doing some research here, and apparently, according to uh, you know, at least regularly available um, uh, figures that are there, that they estimate there's somewhere around 180,000 Americans are completely living off the grid. Uh, and that's uh, according to uh, um, this. This is this Home Power magazine uh, published some figures, and that was that jumped uh, 33% a year. Uh, for a decade, so it's been it's been happening more and more, and uh, you know part of it I think is the fact that people are just fed up. They're fed up with uh, you know with uh, the rising power bills, with uh, uh, rising heating bills, the the cost of uh, oil, the cost of of uh, propane. They're just tired of all of this, and so they want to uh, to get away from this all and figure out how to live a, a lifestyle that is. Uh, is less taxing, and uh, and so you're not constantly caught up in this rat race where you have to uh, to deal with some uh, you know awful boss who is uh, uh, you know it makes you you know and you have to do terrible things in order to make a living. Work in Walmart or uh, you know work work for this uh, work for the establishment. People just want to get away from it. So that's why you're seeing more and more of these people do it. And also you can save money. Um, you know, and some people even now are are uh, putting you know solar panels on their roof. And are taking that and uh, uh, the electricity. If they don't use all the electricity, they're they're actually you know giving it back to the grid, so uh, they can actually generate revenue from it. Uh, now, some states are actually and uh, and electrical electric companies are actually pushing back against this, saying that it, you can't do that and they're not going to pay you for it. But they're supposed to pay you for it if you don't. If you generate more electricity than you use, and it goes back to to sustain the grid, then you should be compensated for that. 
and uh, and it's happened in some states, as I understand it. That's uh, that's there, but but you know, water bills. Uh, uh, you know, you've got water bills, you've got trash bills, you've got electricity bills, you've got uh, heating bills that are there. If you're if you're if you don't heat your house, electricity. If you use oil, uh, if you use uh, um, uh, uh, heating fuel, heating oil. If you use propane, any of these things to heat your home. Then, uh, then people, you know, are tired of that. And so, my father was always fond of saying that the man who cuts his own wood gets warm twice, because you're uh, you're out there working, you're cutting your own firewood, stacking it, getting ready for the winter, and then winter time comes, and then you can burn that wood in your fireplace, and you you get you get warm twice, even if you're out there in the winter time cutting your own firewood, you warm you up too as well. Good circulation, good exercise for you. And in a society now where we have an obesity epidemic, where almost 70% of the population is considered considered fat, getting out there doing this type of stuff isn't going to hurt anybody. It'll be good for you to get out there and to get a little exercise and to uh, to get in shape and uh, get away, break away from the TV, break away from uh, from from the computer, from the internet. Which is one of my problems is that with the work that I do, the writing that I do, and the work that I do, I'm constantly on the internet. And uh, now I've been more and more shutting off my phone, shutting off the Internet, and uh, go outside. It used to be I carried my phone with me everywhere. When I'd be outside working, I'd have my phone with me in case somebody called or if I had to check my email or something. I'd try not to do that anymore. i shut it down and i leave it in the house uh, because we didn't need it. For a long time, it wasn't necessary. And if something happens, somebody can shout from the house if it's an emergency and they need to get me. They can shout from the house and say, hey, you know, something, you got to come here. Something's going on. You can come rush back up, and I can just run back up to the house. So it's not necessary to do that. And there are groups out there that are doing this and doing it successfully. I know one of the groups that I've followed over the years is the Dancing Rabbit Echo Village, which is in Michigan. And Michigan gets bitter cold in the wintertime. But they uh, they actually, through a land trust, they had purchased 280 acres in, uh, sorry, it's Missouri, in north, northeastern Missouri. And uh, they're deep into pioneering. They construct their own buildings. Uh, and uh, they have an internal economy they've even developed, which includes bartering. And they've even created their own currency. Uh, and so people work, and then they can develop their currency, and they do that. Uh, they li- they say they'd like to see 500 to 1,000 people living on their property. I don't know if it's anywhere near that, but it's uh, but I've followed them over the years and uh, and and keep up. And now with their website, I remember first reading about them in an old issue of Mother Earth News or one of these things about reading a profile on them. And now they have their own website, and they're there reading about uh, about their how they do, uh, create their own biodiesel. And they have a truck. They have. They actually have cars on the property, and they they power their cars through biodiesel. Uh, that's there, which they go and they collect the the oil, the used cooking oil from rest, local restaurants. They take it back to the property, and uh, with uh, um, they process it with uh, uh, methanol, and uh, I think it's methanol, and I forget the exact recipe. But you mix it together, and then it uh, um, uh, separates the diesel, uh, the biodiesel from glycerin. Glycerin you can take and you can compost the glycerin, and then the uh, biodiesel you can put in your tractor or put in your uh, put in your uh, um, put in your truck and drive your truck on it, or your car if you got a diesel car. USDA's facility out here in Greenbelt, they make their own biodiesel there, and they operate a lot of their facilities on biodiesel. So the government is even involved in that; they're looking into it. And I've actually have uh, um, corresponded with the guys there at the USDA at the Greenbelt facility. And they've even offered, they, uh, years ago, they told me if I wanted to start doing my biodiesel, they could send a sample there and they'd test it and 
and uh, grade me on it and tell me how I did. And I thought that was a fantastic thing that uh, they'd be willing to do that. I thought it was really it was the way to do it. But this uh, Dancing Rabbit Echo Village uh, is one of the com- one of, you can call them a hippie commune, whatever you want to call them, it doesn't matter. But whether you're a uh, you know whether you're a uh, um, uh, you know a, a super conservative and and uh, you want to get away from the sins of society and live your own life, or you're a uh, um, you know you're you're a far left progressive liberal and you don't like the decadence and you don't like the uh, the greed uh, and you want to get off society there or if you're simply are just a, a moderate in the middle but you're you're tired of the electric bill you're tired of the uh, of constantly being hit with water bills and electric bills and everything and you want to try to save yourself some money uh, these are these are great options and you can do it uh, and uh, it's easier for some people to do it as I said it's a little more difficult if you live in an apartment um, you don't have as many options, or if you're poor in the uh, uh, in the inner city, it's difficult. But again, you know, in the inner city, there are some options there. They've got, uh, you know, they've got these lots. In fact, there was an organization in, in Baltimore and in Washington D.C. that I had learned about that uh, works with people to help them to find empty lots, and then they get with the uh, with your local representative. And they contact the owners of those lots, and then they can turn those lots into gardens. They even help you with contracts. For instance, if they decide to sell that lot and you're halfway through the uh, growing season, then they would have to reimburse you for for some of that in there or work with you on that and uh, on that in order to so that you can actually continue to harvest. These are things that that uh, that they're willing to do, and and you can do it. And it is a possibility to do that. A lot of it is education, and, and the Internet really is an incredible thing now where so much of this information now is free online. You can learn how to various ways to build yourself a greenhouse. You can grow your own food year-round. You can, and you can do this even in suburbia where you can, uh, all you need to do is find a sunny spot and just watch the declination of the sun throughout the year. So that you got that in a spot. Uh, you can dig, it and dig a hole and put it down underground so you can take advantage of the insulating effects of the earth when you build it. So it's out of the wind and it's 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 in the ground. A lot of cities now are are rolling back the rules on keeping chickens. Uh, you can't have roosters, and I understand that roosters are loud. It, uh, a few weeks ago, I brought in a rooster, an extra rooster I had for a lady who who works for me, and uh, she's got a bunch of hens but no rooster. And most farms are unfortunately plagued with an abundance of roosters, and so either you eat them. Or you uh, you trade them for something, or you give them away to somebody who needs them. Some people will sell them sometimes, but you know all you got to do is look on Craigslist for a search rooster on Craigslist, and there is no uh, um, the shortage of uh, cheap available roosters out there. And so I had this rooster in a, a little pen sitting there in the office up front in the mud room on the tiles, and he had food and water up there, and it was kind of happy. It took him a little bit, and he settled in, but about. Uh, I don't know, a couple hours in, he started crowing, and uh, you don't think about how loud those roosters are uh, when they're outside crowing, but inside, and it's a good size office there, it's 5,000 square feet, but you could hear him all the way in the back in the warehouse, no problem, just crowing away, you know, he's happy to be in there, and she took him back to her property, and now he's living happily with a bunch of hens on, on her property. Uh, but in the cities now, you can have your own hens, and you can raise your own eggs there. And a lot of people do it secretly. I have friends who live in outside of Washington D.C. in uh, um, Arlington, and every once in a while, especially in these, these uh, Latino communities where they like eating fresh chicken, they uh, the people have chickens, and so every once in a while they say they, they'll see a, there's a couple chickens actually that managed to escape, 
and uh, chickens are hard to catch, definitely hard to catch. <laughs> Not as hard in the, in the, in the, at nighttime. You can pretty much walk up to them and grab them. But during the day, they're pretty tough to catch if you don't have them in an enclosed to run. And so these, hey, there's a couple chickens that roam the neighborhood now as a result of that, like pets. I imagine one day they'll be picked off by a hawk or something or an owl in the middle of the night or something like that. But, but they seem to be doing all right for now. So you got options. You can do this. You can live off the grid, and it's not all bad news. It's you know there are unfortunately some people who are you know having a tough time in these these right around these cities, and uh, and it's it's uh, you know and especially judges and people who are tied in the establishment don't really see the merit in it. Don't see the importance of doing something like this. But if you can educate yourself and you can work around it, and I'm sure there's for everybody who's caught, there's probably you know five or maybe even ten people who are doing it, uh, and uh, there's just you know, people illegally put in bathrooms without uh, putting it, going to zoning. You know, and getting a, uh, getting a, um, you know, paying to, to uh, the, the zoning, you know, boards to 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 put in a put in a bath bathroom, illegal bathroom in their house. Same type of people are probably are recycling gray water on their properties in in suburbia, uh, and um, and as long as the uh, local authorities don't know about it. And uh, uh, you know, then they can get away with it, and they can they can do that and and live like that. And it's something I think everybody needs to strive, you know, for it. I think and put some thought into it and, and incorporate it, especially if you're in areas that really can benefit from solar power or from even from wind power. If you can do it, you can supplement a little bit of your uh, the electricity consumption, your energy consumption, with with that. Then uh, then these are all good options for you. These are good options for people to pursue, and uh, and you know and and uh, uh, lay low. And you want, you want to operate under the radar, off the grid. Then I think that those are those are good things for you to do that and to uh, to experiment with. And hopefully, hopefully I can get Tyler Truitt on the show here, um, uh, possibly even uh, um, even the this uh, Florida woman down there, Robin Speronis. And I know already that uh, that uh, my good friend Dave has spoken to. Uh, um, the fellow from this Garden of Eden farm down in Arlington, Texas, and uh, about to getting on the radio and, and talking about the troubles he's faced and some of the absurdities they've had to deal with, and that is, uh, you know, th- these are things that uh, that I think are, are are healthy to have a discussion in this country about and uh, to get on because we really do. We use more electricity, we use more power than than uh, almost the, the rest of the world, uh, any other country around the world. We do, and we've gotten kind of spoiled about it. And so it's time. It's time to uh, to step up and to uh, to be responsible and to look at these all the alternatives we have out there, and don't be lazy about it. Well, I want to thank everybody for listening to the show. Here we've spent another hour here talking about what I consider to be important subjects and important topics. And so, and I'm I'm glad that uh, that we had this opportunity to go through it. And I hope that uh, that you'll join me next Friday. Uh, uh, at, at my show on uh, uh, the farm from 11 to noon every Friday. And we also uh, overthrow radio network, overthrowradio.com. We've got a lot of their shows on, on too. Sunday nights, we got Tara Beth's Harvesting Truth, where she talks about, uh, uh, um, you know, she talks about lifestyle. She talks about uh, alternative living. She talks about health. She talks about, she does a lot of it from, from her own uh, biblical perspective. Uh, and, um, uh, and so she ties a lot of that in there, so that'll certainly appeal to to a lot of people. On Mondays we have uh, uh, Mondays we have um, uh, we have history today with Paul Angel, and that's Monday from 10 to noon, and he discusses all kinds of uh, alternative history that's out there. And he's lately he's been talking quite a bit about uh, Confederate history, and 
And uh, it certainly is, uh, you know, a lot of people get upset about that. But I think that it's to be educated, you have to really listen to these all these different uh, perspectives and points of view. And a lot of times what you hear out there is not always the truth. And, of course, on Wednesdays we've got Who's the Bad Guy with Dave Gahari, and that's Wednesdays from 11 a.m. to uh, to 1 p.m. So thanks for joining me today, and I appreciate it very much. I hope you have a wonderful week. Thanks for tuning into the Farm Radio Show on the Overthrow Radio Network, hosted by Blog Talk Radio. Farm airs live every Friday from 11 a.m. to noon Eastern Time. Overthrow Radio Network has other great shows as well. On Mondays, tune into History Today with host Paul Angel from 10 to noon Eastern Time. And every Wednesday, there's Who's the Bad Guy with host Dave Gahari from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern Time. For more details, check out Overthrow Radio Network's website at overthrowradio.com. And please take a moment to make a donation to support free speech radio. If you value free speech in the United States, you should definitely support it. Have a great rest of your day, and see you next week.